Section 18 of The Bachelor's Club by Israel Sangwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11. The Original Sinner, Part 2. Two weeks after that, I met Mandeville in the street. He was laughing heartily over a Punch and Judy show. When Punch whacked Judy, the pessimist plump size quivered, and tears of delight trickled down his cheeks. He greeted me effusively and asked me to come up the river with him. The clerk of the weather had imported an Indian summer, and October was as pleasant as July had failed to be. We took the train to Kew and rode up to Richmond, I pulling stroke and he bow, and vice versa too frequently to be enjoyable. I had never seen him quite so boyish before. The success of his poems of pessimism had made a new boy of him. Half a dozen times he insisted on changing seats in midstream. He was so light-hearted that I felt sure we should be capsized. He asked how my at-home every Monday was going, and I told him I had dropped it after the second number. But I'm sure everybody I saw had a copy of the first number, he replied in astonishment. I don't doubt you saw everybody had a copy, I replied, but it is not because the thing wouldn't pay that I relinquished it. It was because I felt myself unable to grapple with the correspondence it involved. It was besieged with applications from all parts of the country from strangers who assured me that they were celebrities. Every post brought me a furlong of interviews. What's the matter? Mandeville dropped his oar in the river and fallen back mortally pale. What? he stammered. Other people also had ready-made interviews. Hundreds of people, I replied. Mandeville groaned. Another illusion gone. He sat up slowly. What do you mean? I thought I was original, he said in a low tone, his eyes seeking the planks of the boat. Well, what matters? I said as I rowed vigorously towards the drifting oar and captured it. What matters? he replied. When I have been all my life in quest of the original. That's not an original attitude, I replied. No, he said sadly. The chase is not original, but the capture. Ah, he sighed deeply. Take both the oars, old man. I will do all the work. I will entertain you by laying myself bare to you. What? Going to have a swim? Well, be careful how you jump off. Don't be an ass. I refer to my psychical nudity. I need not say that I did not strip for my interview. But now I will be naked and not ashamed. Know, then, that every instant of time I can spare from the duties and pleasures of life is spent in fretting at the unelastic boundaries of existence. I hate this web of conventionality in which I am enmeshed. To be born, to suckle at the breast, to get the measles and the whooping cough, to become a boy, to develop a mustache and adolescent emotions, to grow from a youth into a man, and from a man into an old man— to have one's whole life marked out for you from the start without your leave or consent. Ugh, it was so conventional. My soul sickens at it. And then every day is a life in little. To get up and wash and dress and feed at intervals and go to sleep again, to have one's soul fretted and chained within the same narrow boundaries, to move in the same rigid rut as everybody else. It's abominable. Oh, the horror of the natural conventional. The artificial conventional can be broken through, whatever the cost, but the natural conventional. 
it holds us remorselessly in its deadening grip it squeezes us in its all-embracing folds from the initial conventionality of our birth to the supreme conventionality death we are all fashioned alike in our beginning and we are run into the same mould at the end my life has been one long effort to leave the path chalked out for me by the protoplasmic atoms it has also been one long failure Today you have trampled upon another hope of originality my patent interview has been done before he took out his notebook one more must be added to the list of burst bubbles he said the figure runs into hundreds one day i strung some of them into verse would you like to hear it i replied that nothing would give me greater satisfaction unless he could combine the recitation with a little attention to the tiller pulling the ropes lazily around him the poet commenced done before sick of commonplace mortality i have sought originality by all ways i thought untrodden of a predecessor's feet i have always left the highway for the undiscovered byway haunted only by the terror lest a footprint i should meet when a boy i used to utter mild requests for bread and butter although jam and cake were present in a freely offered store and myself on this i flattered till my first fond dream was shattered when i read in sunday-school books it had oft been done before i've been rich without frugality i've been poor without formality i've been oft at home to bore and dun and out to love and friend i have travelled in the first class with a ticket for the worst class and the difference have tendered at the journey's other end. I've assured the deputation I deserved its gradulation. I've accompanied de Rizke or La Diva with a snore. I have stayed the year in London in my search for something undone, quite forgetting those odd million folks by whom twas done before. I have practiced immorality to the verge of illegality, yet have never been a member of a Puritanic League. I have walked down Piccadilly, a preambulating lily, without boring my companion with my network of intrigue. To its mother smiling smugly, I have called the baby ugly. I have admitted being sick before the vessel reached the nore, though exact returns of income will at last to seem a sin-come. Then you find that even the revenue has been done before. Even with what I thought finality I have bid for immortality, by reviewing learned books without the hope they'd be revised, and poetical collections without setting my affections, on the things therefrom omitted over those therein comprised. I've expressed my satisfaction, nor discovered lack of action, in drama by an author known in letters from the oar. But although I've sent back proxies for a row of stalls and boxes, Honest criticism even had been sometimes done before. I have given hospitality with severe impartiality to ideas congruous only in their being all my own. I have tried to write down motherhood and find a white rose brotherhood with the object of replacing the stray Stuarts on the throne, plus ten ultra-modernisms and two neo-paganisms and an analytic diary to strip me to the core. But what use my feigned brutality, all my pseudo-bestiality, since mendacious self-exposure had been often done before? 
I have painted on reality and composed without tonality. I have lectured on the beautiful in trousers, rugs, and hair. In my individuality I've developed by rascality, and I've never lacked a genius unknown by whom to swear. But in vain my comicality flashed in mad conviviality, when against the bourgeois virtues I let off tables roar. Anti-decologically, both in jest and actuality, had with vigorous vivality been too often done before. Thus I've chased originality, though as if by some fatality, with unfailing punctuality the thing has been a frost. Did I sink to criminality? Did I rise to high morality? My love's labor always turned out more monotonously lost. I would not escape banality, though I shifted my locality, and made search from pole to center for yet untrodden shore. Should I boil my spirit kettle upon Papucata petal, I should find within a week the spot had oft been done before. The pessimist's candid confession shocked me greatly, for I was so enthralled by it that I allowed the boat to bump into another. Fortunately, both sides came off with nothing beyond the first syllable of damage. We moored our vessel below the star and garter, and the pessimist ate a hearty lunch. My rowing had given him an appetite and he enjoyed his porterhouse steak none the less because it had been underdone before. After he had swallowed three parts of the porterhouse, he grew even more expansive and showed me some sheets of his forthcoming book, his latest snap at the tantalizing Feta Morgana of originality. The year is drawing to its end, he said. For the new year I am preparing a work called The Cynic's Calendar. Here is the proof for January. He displayed it on the tablecloth, reading it aloud. The Cynic's Calendar Being the calendar for January, 1891, with mottoes for pious reflection. January 1, Thursday New Year resolutions commence to be broken. Youth is a season for enjoyment. Old age for remorse that we did not enjoy ourselves more. January 2nd, Friday January 1st resolutions finally abandoned. January 2nd thoughts are best. January 3rd, Saturday. Greta Green, marriages abolished, 1857. Marriage is the Primitive Mutual Admiration Society. January 4th, Sunday. Lord Tom Noddy, born, 1863. It is better to be healthy and wealthy than wise. But if you cannot be any of the three, the next best thing is to be an English peer. January 5th, Monday, execution of Fagan. Honesty is the best policy for a man with a bad reputation. January 6th, Tuesday, dividend on consoles due. An honest man is good company, but nobody would take shares with him. He wouldn't pay, because he would. January 7th, Wednesday, St. Distaff. Spencer Hood is an honorable estate, till the proprietor commences to rail at wedlock. January 8th, Thursday, Galileo died, 1642. The wisest man is happy sometimes. January 9th, Friday, Napoleon III died, 1873. For success in life, two qualities are required, a strong will and a weak conscience. January 10th, Saturday. Penny postage established, 1840. If truth did not live at the bottom of a well, all social communion would be impossible. January 11th, Sunday, Cagliostro born. 
the youth's bashfulness arises from his knowledge of his own ignorance the man's assurances from his knowledge of other people's january twelfth monday hillary term begins law and journalism are the masculine substitutes for prostitution january thirteenth tuesday dinas colliery explosion eighteen seventy nine a sympathetic heart is the most terrible of congenital misfortunes january fourteenth wednesday oxford lent term begins let us all cultivate ourselves as the wise goth teaches and first of all the dung for manure january fifteenth thursday british museum opened seventeen fifty nine every question is like a sheet of paper much may be said on both sides but for journalistic purposes it may only be said on one side january sixteenth friday saturn sets procrastination is the thief of time and steals many an idle hour for us put off death or duty till to-morrow january seventeenth saturday benjamin franklin born seventeen o six poor richard says the worst of having your bread buttered on both sides is if you drop it it is sure to fall on the buttered side january eighteenth sunday second sunday after epiphany there is a chamber in the heart of which even one's nearest and dearest are not admitted it is the unholy of unholies january nineteenth monday john wilkes expelled house of commons seventeen sixty four no man has a right to bring into the world propositions which he is unable to maintain january twentieth tuesday david garrick died seventeen seventy nine fools follow rules wise men precede them january twenty first wednesday cleopatra's needle arrived eighteen seventy eight beauty is but skin deep but as humanity doesn't sit in its bones that is no drawback january twenty second thursday annual dinner of the society for promoting charity advertisements better a nominal sum in charity than an anonymous million january twenty third friday william pitt died eighteen o six we all love virtue but few of us hope to possess her we forgive ourselves for erring for that is human and for forgiving ourselves for that is divine january twenty fourth saturday dynamite outrage in london eighteen eighty five hypocrisy is the last infirmity of a scoundrel january twenty fifth sunday burns born seventeen fifty nine the poet is born whoever maintained that he was a made man january twenty sixth monday great famine in china eighteen seventy eight a good dinner is the best joy of the hour that is a good digestion of the hour that will be january twenty seventh tuesday emperor of germany born eighteen fifty nine self-contempt is the one quality that raises man above the angels january twenty eighth wednesday paris capitulated eighteen seventy one few men have courage enough to be cowards january twenty ninth thursday george the third died eighteen twenty the idol that had only feet of clay was indeed divine january thirtieth friday charles i beheaded sixteen forty nine let him whom the cap fits wear somebody else's january thirty first saturday hillary law term ends make the best of a bad bargain let it be bad for the other party underneath each page he continued 
will be meteorological prophecies with the proviso wind and weather permitting but this has been done before i exclaimed where gasped the pessimist in one of the comic papers i replied and i thought it was a funny idea he groaned throwing the sheet into the fireplace once i extracted it for future use on the way back to kew whom should we meet but a trio of pretty girls rowed by a tall young man whom i afterwards discovered to be unfortunate enough to be their brother to my alarm the girls hailed mandeville brown laughingly and he roused himself from his brooding and responded with stentorian joviality the tall young man and i kept the boats side by side while the introductions were going on the way mandeville flirted across the strait with those three girls at the same time could only be compared to the achievement of a juggler who keeps three balls going at once my alarm was soon however replaced by joy i reflected that mandeville was forever debarred from marrying by the fact that it had been done before his birth besides there was safety in numbers no the bachelors club had crumbled but the last three atoms were of adamant a course was lively for the girls chattered like magpies while their brother broke in every now and again with some satirical remark at their expense they were very affectionate though for they went out of their way to call him a nice brother every time mandeville too was not silent he has no talent in that direction but effervesced with quips and cranks and wreathed smiles i bore my share of the conversation patiently and in silence for mandeville was never the man to spare a friend and save a joke before we parted with the boatload of fair maidens mandeville and i promised to drop in the same evening for an informal dance in their house at bayswater he did not want us to go but i intimated to him that i would not let my personal feelings be an obstacle informality we found meant an awning outside and a motley package of long-invited guests inside i kept an eye on mandeville secure as i felt he danced with a whole bouquet of wallflowers the bevies of beauty he left to others to the guests this seemed generosity to me his motive was as plain as his partner's for myself having nothing to fear i danced freely with youth and beauty especially with the nymphs of the river their names were Alice, Maud, and Kitty, but I christened them for short the Three Graces. Presumably they were not triplets, but I could not tell the eldest from the youngest. I told one of them so, thinking how fortunate it was that truth and compliment should coincide. She tossed her head pertly, and I saw that she was the youngest. But I was not discomfited. I told her that I meant judging from their knowledge of the world, and was rewarded by a sunny smile most girls tell you they are not pretty and etiquette demands that you should call them liars kitty was not like that she was a vivacious little thing sprightly as a jackdaw and innocent as a dove she had violet eyes and pale gold hair and a lovely blonde complexion and danced with enthusiasm tempered by science she floated round among the congested human teetotums like a gossamer in petticoats almost for the first time i thrilled with the secret of dancing and felt in my blood the voluptuous ecstasy of rhythmic movement i took her down to supper out of gratitude she did not seem hungry she supped entirely off mandeville brown washed down by a claret cup i saw that she was in love with the little man it made my heart sick with annoyance brown was lost 
The dance became gayer after supper, the stiffness relaxing as the collars became limper. I took another grace after the meal, and heard the further praises of Mandeville, and learnt that he had presented each of the graces with a volume of the poems of pessimism bound in Morocco. I blushed for Mandeville, tarnishing these blithe and bonny specimens of earth girlhood with his nauseous whinings, and defiling their air with his sickly unsentimentality. Why should they be told that existence was a curse, when they were living in such a happy ignorance of the fact? I asked my partner, who was Maud, what they thought of his poems, and she replied that they all considered them awfully sweet and quite too lovely. I gained further fuel for suspicion from Alice's lips. I trembled like an aspen. Brown would marry Kitty so as to prove to her that existence was a curse. Some men would rather abandon a tooth than a theory, and Brown was one of them. I went to the House of the Graces often to watch him. Most frequently he was not there, and I was relieved. Brown could be staunch, after all, but alas for human anticipation. Before the month was over, Mandeville Brown, the secretary to the Bachelors' Club, the forger of the weapons of our arsenal, the contemner of woman and man, the poet of pessimism, had been united in the bonds of unholy wedlock. He spent his wedding night at the Bachelors' Club chatting with McGillicuddy and myself about its prospects. When morning dawned, he informed us he had been married the day before. Horror congealed our blood. I was the first to speak. "'You old sinner!' I cried. "'Yes, but an original sinner, eh?' he said with a happy smile. "'Who is she?' I breathed huskily. "'Oh, some emancipated young woman or other.' Name Matilda Cruck, I believe. But don't take this from me. I only met her the other day. I turned away to hide my emotion. The president took up the cue. And where is she, man? He said in low, ominous tones. Am I my wife's keeper? Demanded the secretary in amaze. She needs one if she married you, I said hotly. Where have you left her? At the registrar's door, of course. Where else should a man leave his wife? She only married me to achieve independence. Why it should be more respectable for her to trollop about alone now than before, I do not understand. However, that is society's business, not mine. McGillicuddy was too angry to speak. He shook his snuff-box, and his jaws quivered, but no sound came from them. I continued the conversation. You have told us why she married you. Why did you marry her? Why? Yes, why? Why this divorce from your past? Mandeville's plump sides trembled like a jelly. Ho, <laughs> ho, he roared. Did you really expect a cynic to believe his own maxims? And so precipitately, too, I murmured, abashed at my own simplicity. There was not even an engagement. Of course not. That is part of the originality, though not in itself uncopyrighted. I hate engagements. They are a failure. Oh, the green sickness of the betrothed. The sheep-eyed male, the tremaneous female. I was married straight off the reel. But what for, man, what for? shrieked McGillicuddy, getting his breath at last. Cannot you guess? No, you had nothing to gain. I see no reason in the world, I said. Thank heaven. 
said Mandeville fervently. Then I have done it at last. Done what? We said in a duet. Broken the bonds of predestination. I have married for no reason in the world. All the philosophers will tell you that man cannot act without a motive. It is a lie. I made up my mind to cheat the fates that have from the moment of my birth stifled me in the swaddling clothes of cause and effect. I determined, at some great crisis, to act without any reason whatever. There are, as Aurority once put it, only three great crises in a man's life, birth, marriage, and death. My birth had happened. It was too late to influence that now. To commit suicide without reason would meet the case, but then I should not have the satisfaction of conscious success. One last opportunity remained. Marriage. I took it. McGillicuddy fixed him with a mocking eye. There are evidently more reasons in heaven and earth than you dreamed in your philosophy, Mandeville. You married so as to take some great step without a reason. Is that so? That is so. Well, wasn't that a reason? Willoughby Jones rushed forwards and caught the fainting secretary in his arms. But Brown battled bravely with a dizziness that overcame him and freed himself from the clasp of his brother in misfortune. At least it is the best of all reasons, he said with a pathetic smile. And if my marriage was a failure after all, at any rate, I can recall my wife now. I have her address. She will be able to visit us here, too. She is a married woman, you know, strictly according to by-law, you see. Visit us? The president's snuff-box dropped to the floor. Yes, of course I shall continue a member. Continue a member, man, when you are married? Shrieked the president. Yes, shrieked back the secretary as an exultant gleam shot across his cherubic features. I shall be original after all. But we shall expel you, I thundered. Indeed, thundered back the secretary. You forget the bylaws I drew up. It takes three to make a quorum. Willoughby Jones rushed forwards and caught the fainting president in his arms. But McGillicuddy battled bravely with a dizziness that overcame him and freed himself from the polluting touch of the lower caste. There is yet one argument left, man, said McGillicuddy, drawing himself up to his full height. Indeed? said the little pessimist mockingly. The president of the bachelor's club took the secretary by the scruff of the neck, carried him into the room adorned by his own texts, dropped him down the six stairs onto the landing, and locked the door. A minute after the pessimist beat clamorously at it. "'No admission,' I said tauntingly. "'I'm not going to make any,' yelled the secretary outside or, to use a conventional phrase, the ex-secretary, "'Bar your doors to me henceforward, as you will. Have not I, a married man, spent a whole night as a member of the Bachelor's Club?' "'You have,' I said feebly. "'Then I am original after all.' "'No,' thundered the President. "'The thing has been done before.' "'Done before?' I echoed. "'Done before?' came feebly from behind the panelling. "'Yes,' said the President, taking triumphant snuff. "'A shameless being has preceded you in this.' "'His voice sank and trembled at the recollection of the blasphemy. 
Nay more. He had the audacity to become a member, although married, and for some time no one suspected him. I alone knew it, and I hitherto covered up the scandal by my own aching bosom. He was a member before your time, Paul, and even to you the real truth was never known. Man de villain, he concluded suddenly with a burst of righteous indignation. Will you swear it? came in a hoarse, despairing whisper through the keyhole. "'I swear it,' said the President solemnly. "'By my immortal soul, I swear it. "'He was a gay, clever knave, "'a member by whom the club has done before.' A strange, muffled rumble penetrated the woodwork. Terrified, I turned the key and opened the door. Mandeville Brown had rolled down the six stairs in a fit. He lives peacefully at Bedlam now, and indites epigrams for the magazines, and poems for the Mandeville Brown societies. The poems are not so obscure as before. The epigrams he turns out automatically with the old topsy-turvy trick, only occasionally blundering into sense. Here are a dozen assorted specimens, which were printed in a leading monthly with stars twinkling between them. For price per gross applied to the maker. The English are the most un-English of peoples. For illiberalism you must go to the illiberals. Criticisms of the works of imagination are the only realities. The best memory is that which soonest forgets. Science is systematized ignorance, and the naturalist is the man who knows nature least. Charity is a cloak that disguises many sins. None so blind as those who will see. Goodness is the talent of fools. Spell duty with a big, big D. No man waits for time or tide. The villain lives in a villa. Your thief is the only honest man. The rest of the population are dissemblers. The worse the artist, the better the work of art. He had one lucid interval, though unfortunately he did not write in it. It occurred in the train that was bearing him to his new home. Where are you taking me? he asked. "'To Bedlam,' replied his companions. "'There's no use calling me Lamb. "'I am not going to bed,' he said decisively. "'They explained his real destination. Well, "'Why there?' he queried querulously. "'Because you have lost your reason,' they answered indiscreetly. "'Mandeville Brown rose in spite of all their efforts "'and danced a jig on the foot-warmer. "'Heaven be thanked!' he cried. The fates are foiled at last. I'm going to Bedlam without reason. End of section 18